presence here this evening. I'm thankful once again for the invitation to participate in this conference, this gospel meeting, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak with you about such important things in our lives. As we believe the Bible is an inspired book of God, it contains ancient histories from the foundation of the world. And even though many in our day and age feel like the Bible is not something that's relevant, oh, it's passe, it's been tried, we believe that the words here are still everlasting truth as we have sung and are applicable to us. And even though society may have new things and new ways to do things, we understand that the problems that we as humans face are eternal problems. They're things that even though the veneer or the fashion may change, the fundamental root of these things does not. As we talked about in the previous uh, lessons in this series, the idea that Babylon serves as a form into which we can understand the cycles of human governance. And that we are called to be different from those who are around us, not because we are inherently special, but because we orient ourselves to the invitation that God has given, which is open to everybody to follow. And when we think about these applications, we need to understand that God calls us to a radical approach of following His will and trusting Him, where it's easy to look to other sources of knowledge and say, well, I want to follow what I think is best, what society thinks best, what science says is best, what all these other things say is best. The call of God is to say, well, first let's find out what the Creator has said. Let's contextualize our problems in terms of the roadmap, the instruction book, and let's figure out what it has to say. We've gone through many changes in the last hundred years. It's interesting, as I come back here, this is where my father grew up, and my grandfather lived for many, and great-grandfather lived here for many years. And going to the graveside of my, or the tombstone of my grandparents and my great-grandparents this afternoon, my, my boys, I realized my great-grandfather, who I knew, and many of you probably knew of, some of you may have known him, he was born in 1908. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's crazy to think of the changes that he has seen that he saw and that we have seen. And I was talking to somebody even today, and I was saying, you know, it's interesting. I am part of one of the last generations that just didn't grow up with cell phones, didn't have one. I remember the first time a computer was brought into our house. I was about nine years old, and it was a clunky thing that just ran MS-DOS, and that was it. There's been so many leaps and bounds in terms of progress. Things have changed so fast, and it can be easy for us to feel a bit dizzy at times and think, wow, what is happening? What's coming next? But in all the fast-paced advancement, it can be easy to push God's Word aside and not to think of things in a Christian perspective as what God invites us to. To think that we are in such a new and modern society that we have somehow superseded the problems that have plagued humanity for all time. And that the things that we face nowadays cannot be answered by commands and precepts and patterns within God's Word. I would say that this is due to an arrogance, a hubris that we have, and an ahistorical approach that we can't think of more than just what's happening right now in these 15 minutes. But I would affirm to you that that by itself, our short-sightedness and ahistoricity is not by accident. But it's something that we can see has a spiritual to this problem, just that I said, our problem is not with Babel itself. It's not with Babylon as a type, or a government, or a society, or a culture. But rather, as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, 
the spiritual forces that are behind these things. And we've been trained in a materialistic and secularistic society not to think of anything besides material he, materially here right in front of us. But there's so much that cries out that says, no, there are influences beyond the things that we can initially see. It's interesting. I think this is especially applicable in this topic tonight as we're going to talk about social media. And first off, I want to appreciate the feedback that I've gotten from many people. Some of that feedback's been good. Some of it's been challenging. And as I've said before, I'm not perfect. I'm human. I make mistakes and I make errors. I don't proclaim to be perfect and I don't ask you to trust me or believe in me. I ask that you would give this, the perfect source, a fair shot. And I appreciate many feedback and I got feedback from a brother even starting off about the uh, title of this lesson. And I ask that you give me a good hear through and listen to what I'm trying to say. But then test it, examine it, just like the Bereans did in Acts 17. When Paul came and preached to them, they tested to see if the things were true. And so you're not going to offend me if you disagree with me. In fact, I invite it, I welcome it. Because I'm not beholden to my opinion. My opinion is not worth much at all. I want to find out what's true. And I want to find out what's true for myself and for our families and our communities. So we can weather the challenges that Babylon throws at us. So first off, let's talk about social media. And this feels a little bit weird, honestly, to even have to define what social media is. But just to make sure that we're all on the same page, so to speak, I want to make sure that we understand what we're talking about here. First off, the idea of the internet is crazy. I know we're used to it by now. We have it on our phones. We all use it every single day. It's become ubiquitous. But it is insane to think that the entirety of the human race, in essence, is connected in this thing we call the internet, that we can't just go and point to it. It's not this box we can open up. This is a radical shift and change in human development. This is greater than the printing press. This is greater than the automobile or the airplane. The digital revolution, or the information revolution, as some call it, has radically changed the way that we encounter other people and the way that we engage with information ourselves. And within this great revolution, there are emerging technologies that have benefited us greatly. But we move so fast that many times we haven't stopped and critically thought about the impact of these things and how we engage with them and the ethics behind these things. We just take it as it comes. Easy come, easy go, and we're just going. But we should pause and be critical in our examination of these and test them and say, are these things good? What impacts are they having on us? How are they allowing us to either communicate or be alienated in our interactions with other people? And it's amazing that within this move of the internet and this wonderful technology, we have what emerged in especially the last decade as social media. The technical jargon definition is websites and applications that allow users to create and share content or participate in social connection. It sounds great. Social media. Who could be against it? Who would criticize it? We're creating these connections that everyone likes. We are forming networks that span the globe and they can instantly connect people from different countries, locations, languages, and cultures. It's amazing. During the pandemic, I gave lectures to people who were in Chile, in Colombia. I can speak to people all the way across the globe with just a button. And especially as my wife and I, we live in Puerto Rico, 
thousands of miles away from Wichita, it's amazing that we can just connect with people and boom, instantly, we have through Zoom, we have through FaceTime, we have through all these connections that we can just instantly establish that. But specifically when we're talking about social media, it's not just the telecommunication that we're talking about, like a phone or Zoom, but specifically the massively used interconnected networks that come through systems like Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, Instagram, and YouTube. These are what I would call more of the social media, the emphasis on the social network or social experience. And these particularly are something that people are starting to wake up and recognize, hmm, maybe there's some implications here. Maybe there's some challenges here that we should start paying attention to. And this has been something that I particularly have been a little bit frustrated with. And I'll put my cards on the table and be very clear here. We as a brotherhood are very slow to critically evaluate new technologies and new systems that come along. And we are very, very slow to be able to make decisions on these in a collective basis as communities. And listen, I'll be very clear. I'm not here to tell anybody or moralize anybody to say, yes, you should use social media or not. I don't feel like that's my position. I believe in church autonomy, which the New Testament teaches, and I believe that this congregation as a community should wrestle with this and come to a standard and practice for yourselves and for your families individually. I'm going to give you the information and allow you to evaluate it yourself. And yes, I have my biases and I have my opinions, and I'll try to be transparent on those. But this is something that we cannot afford to be lackadaisical on. We cannot afford to be tardy on recognizing the peril of this. We've already seen the dangers of this and other things. I give a little preview tomorrow. We're going to be talking about pornography. And for a long time, our brethren were very recognized the danger and the disastrous impacts of that on individual, uh, familial, and societal levels. And we didn't talk about it. Because many times we look to the Bible so long as it is going to direct our worship service, but many of us don't think the Bible actually extends past that. And one of the things that I've been trying to emphasize time after time is that the Bible is not just about communion. It's not just about songs. It's not just about these commands. It's an instruction of how we view the world. It's to shape us from the inside out. But yet many times we might do the right things in terms of our service, but we feel completely gutted because we've fallen along with Babylon and fallen just with what everybody else does, and we're reaping the disastrous consequences. We have to be critically engaged with what we're doing and not just be swept up with what everybody else is doing. God calls us to think and use our minds. The very idea that we have consciousness, the very idea that we can think and engage is a gift from the divine creator. It's not something that happens just naturally in the world around us. And so if we are given this blessing of a great spirit to evaluate things, we're expected to use it. And that is including these emergent technologies that come up. I'd like to share with you all some surprising statistics about the use of social media. And I know this is gonna seem self-evident, especially to people under 40. Like, yeah, people use social media. Uh, What's new, Caleb? I understand, but allow me just to make sure that we're all on the same page to understand the pervasiveness and the impact of this. 
The very idea that you'll hear people, especially now some senators are talking about big tech, this idea that there are so many people brought in under these umbrella systems of social media and they have a tremendous amount of influence, it cannot be overstated. 70% of all Americans have a social media profile. That has not, number has risen from 10% in 2008. Only 10% of the population had social media in 2008. In a little more over a decade, it has gone from something that just college students use to now everyone and their grandma literally uses. Over 88% of young people, 18 to 29-year-olds, year old, uh, use at least one social media platform. The average Facebook user spends at least 17 hours per month on the website. The average TikTok user spends 52 minutes per day on TikTok. Okay, I was not hip with the TikTok thing. I know like some of you younger folks understand what TikTok is, but I just couldn't get it. And I know I'm kind of like a millennial boomer-ish kind of guy that I'm still stuck using Facebook thinking it's a newfangled thing. But I understand that TikTok is widely prevalent. We have to be open to understanding and evaluating these as well. This was a statistic in the pandemic and all social media during the pandemic, obviously people are staying indoors, social distancing, it just went through the roof. An average of 2.5 hours per day is spent on social media platforms per user. That is incredible. That is an enormous amount of attention. 73% of marketers believe that social networking has been effective for their business. In previous lessons, we've talked about the importance of attention, what we attend to, what we focus on. There's a lot of things in this life we don't have choice over. We don't have choice on what impacts us, what sicknesses we have, what happens to us on the road in a lot of ways. Life happens to us in many ways. But one thing we do have control, we have free will and we have a very intimate and specific decision to make is what we choose to focus on. Our focus is for ourselves. Nobody else can choose our focus. And so the thing about focus is even the world understands, even advertisers understand, that focus is drastically important. If it wasn't important, why do advertisers, businesses, the government, everybody else around us grasp for our attention? They want our attention because that's valuable. Children, when they do not have the attention of their parents, what do they do? They'll go and do terrible things because it is better to be punished and have the attention of your, your, your parent than to not be attended to and in essence suffer non-existence. <clears throat> attention is vitally important to our existence as human beings. And the attention we give is very powerful as well, which is why there's so much competition among the idols world around us to try to focus that attention on themselves. So social media obviously has captured a lot of our attention and has captured the attention collectively of the entire society. And this is why we need to examine this as a brother, as a brotherhood. We need to examine it honestly as Christians say, what should we do with this? Does the Bible have anything to say about it? Is this something that we should just accept? And my, the, the impetus of this lesson really comes from a very laissez-faire, a very just disengaged analysis, I believe, of social media from our brethren. And I know that's probably too critical to say because there are lessons out there that brethren have challenged some of our usage and warned about how we engage with social media. But by and large, whenever I would talk with brethren or hear people talk about social media, from a Christian perspective, it just was, well, you know, there's good things and there are bad things. 
So just like with anything, be careful how you use it, and that's about it. Okay, it's a tool, right? Just like a hammer is a tool. A car is a tool. I could do great things with a hammer. I could build a building that could house the homeless. Or I could do terrible things with it. And I could bludgeon someone to death with it. And so we understand, well, the tool is kind of neutral. It depends on the user, right? And that seems very persuasive. It seems very persuasive in terms of social media, thinking, okay, well, if social media <coughs> is just this neutral tool, then why do we really need to worry about it so much? Just check your heart. Check the way that you use it, and that'll be good enough, right? Well, that's what a lot of people have thought about, and that's how usually it's framed in terms of our brotherhood. But I would like to affirm to you that this should not be the end of our discussion. That it shouldn't just be, oh, it's a neutral tool. What's the big deal? I would argue that this approach is simplistic, it is juvenile and dangerous because it presents this tech, new technology as something that is to be equal and equivocated with something as simple as a hammer. There are drastically different characteristics between these two. And allow me to exemplify these and explain that a little bit more. The idea of a neutral tool, be clear, is one that could be used for good or bad. Let's use the case of the, of the hammer. But it doesn't have any inherent risk or danger to itself necessarily. It is how you use it. Even if we use something that is more aggressive like a chainsaw, which I grew up using a lot of saws. My dad was into carpentry a lot. We recognize that saws, yes, have danger, but it's not necessarily an inherent danger in of itself. It's how you utilize it that could be dangerous. And it could be used for great things or terrible things. And most of us just go along thinking, okay, social media is in the same category. However, I think that this is a fundamental failure to understand what we're actually dealing with when we're talking about social media. First off, Social media can change the way that we communicate and think. Most people don't even think about this at all. I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you are a heavy social media user, as I was for many years, perhaps you noticed that your attention span got shorter and shorter and shorter. Perhaps you noticed that you couldn't focus on things for more than a minute or two minutes. Perhaps you started looking for something to constantly occupy your attention. You're even standing there in line at the grocery store and you feel this twitch, this nervousness, this desire to go and check what's on YouTube, check Facebook real quick, check Twitter. It was like a call that came out in your mind of this desire to engage. Is that natural? I've never had a hammer call me in the night. I've never woken up in the morning and gone and grabbed my hammer because I needed to nail something. Never happened. And I've used a lot of hammers. I've never feel, felt compelled. And the hammer has never beeped at me and said, check me, look, you need to hammer something. Never happened. But social media has done that. The notifications have done that. I have felt compelled to constantly check. I wake up, and even before I say hello to my wife in the morning, what do I do? I check the phone. Got to check what notifications. 
Got to check what this guy tweeted. Got to check what's happening on my favorite game. And this is something that's very important that we understand. These technologies are not accidental. It can be easy for us because we're not software engineers. We're not psychologists. We don't understand the development of these things. It can easy, be easy for us because we do not understand and think, well, it's just like anything else. That's a simplistic view, number one, and it's not correct. One of the shows that really helped me a lot on this, and I know it's a bit ironic that we're talking about a show that streamed online that's warning about social media, but nevertheless, the movie that was produced in 2020, The Social Dilemma, dives into this idea of diving into the idea of what is really behind these things. Because we'll look at it and we'll say, oh, well, that's just accidental. That's not that big of a deal. But did you know that it was specifically designed that way? Did you know that the like button, even on Facebook and Twitter, was designed specifically to elicit certain psychological reactions, behavioral reactions. The software engineers are not just mindlessly developing these things and going from one thing to another. They are trained in traditional behaviorist psychology. They have been trained in the lines of B.F. Skinner and Pavlov and others to focus on things that are going to trigger certain behavioral responses. They know these things, and they know that it has an impact on the way we think. A Harvard psychologist, Jonathan Haidt, in his uh, groundbreaking book, The Coddling of the American Mind, warns about the impacts that social media has. Talking about how it's addictive and how it can condition us on things. And that it has caused terrible and drastic impacts on young people. Specifically, Haidt um, had done a lot of study with the rise of suicide rates with young men and women, but specifically with young women, the rise of depression. And you see the rate of depression just skyrocket after social media use began to increase in our culture. It's not an accidental correlation. There is a clear causation that's here. And people are addicted to this. There's a dopamine rush that grows through your brain when you see something new. You scroll and you see that new thing. And then what do you see people doing all the time, especially as forms like TikTok have even amplified this more and they've turned it into like a cocaine-ridden approach of just scroll, 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 scroll. Been on it, understand. You start scrolling, two hours later, you're like, whoa, what just happened with my life? Where did I go? You get sucked into a vacuum that is completely different. And I understand getting in the flow state. I've been in flow state before on various things. But going back to the use of the hammer, I've never had a flow state with the use of a hammer for two hours straight that I lost consciousness, so to speak. Didn't happen. This is not a hammer. It's not a pain. This is something that is far more... I don't want to be hyperbolic here, but it is dangerous. Because we're dealing with things that are intending to go and attract us and to addict us, and to pull our attention in. And the challenge here is social networks give us this illusion that we're going to be connected, that we're going to be together with other people. But what's amazing is, have we ever felt, on an individual level or societal level, more disparate and disconnected with the society around us? Living in Texas, we lived in a subdivision. 
We didn't know like any of our neighbors at all. And it's a situation where our society becomes more and more polarized. Why? You don't have to engage with anybody anymore. I was talking to my dad about, with, about this topic just recently. I said, you know, it was interesting that growing up, we didn't really know anybody outside of our small town in Richmond, which was like 6,000 people. And if there was like a crazy guy, you kind of had to engage with him if he did something you needed, right? Okay, you know, he's the, he's the dry cleaner. Sure, he might be a wacko communist, but he's our only dry cleaner. So we've got to engage with him, right? And it kind of tempered us and brought everybody together where you had to work on things. Now you don't have to engage with anybody you don't want to engage with. Somebody says something offensive, boom, cut them off. I can just choose and cultivate my specific group on a social network. It sounds good. It sounds like we're going to be more connected. But what it really does is it alienates us. It isolates us. And we feel completely void inside. There's a reason why, multiple reasons why I understand, but one of the factors in terms of the rising rate of depression and suicide that have taken place for the last two years is because we understand that social networks are not a substitute for true interaction, for true engagement with one another. And this has profound implications on the way our culture and our society operates. It has implications for the way that we operate as a church. And we need to be honest about these. A couple of quotes that I'd like to show. And one comes from Twitter. And I blocked off my Twitter handle because I'm off Twitter and I don't want you guys looking up my bad, my bad tweets or anything like that. But after I got off Twitter, I got this message from Twitter. Just to show you a little bit of the manipulation tactics that come. And this is just one example. I get this email from Twitter, and it says, Caleb, don't be selfish. I was like, whew, okay. I know I'm selfish. I know I'm a fallen being. I know I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, do tell me more, Twitter. How can I be redeemed from the selfishness that has plagued my heart? Please tell me. Do I need to find Jesus? Do I need to read God's word? Do I need to go serve the poor? Do I need to help the elderly? What do I need to do to not be selfish, Twitter? Well, Caleb, here is a suggested video of a lion doing something crazy, and it's too good to keep to yourself. Retweet it. Don't be selfish. What? That's not what I had in mind when I was thinking overcoming selfishness. Not at all. How does that have anything to do with not being selfish? Because selfishness and the parameter of what's being then fed is to be by yourself to be disconnected from the grid of twitter is in essence selfishness to experience things by yourself is selfishness this creates a form of psychosis that there are no personal forms that i can enjoy myself everything has to be curated through through a social network and then once everything is curated through a social network it is open for critique, for discussion, for a whole host of things. And there are people who have just online presence. There's no reality that's there. I feel just completely terrible for the younger generations that are going through a form of bipolar just destruction in their minds, not a, not a clinical diagnosis of bipolar, but this idea of almost a schizophrenic, I exist in persona online, and then here's the reality that I have. I can't be true with things that are online. I can't share about my depression online. I can't share about my addictions online. That would destroy my persona. I have to then curate another personality somewhere else. 
And we wonder why there's such rampant destruction of the identity in our society. Whether we're dealing with identity on the level of gender or something more complicated, like an identity that we have internally in our minds, it maps that the breakdown of a coherent, harmonious, unified identity because of social media follows with the rise of many of these social and uh, psychological ailments. And it was just amazing to me to see this. And it was just like one of those moments, it was like surreal. I was like, wait a second, Twitter, you're manipulating me. I'm being manipulated here. I've never had a hammer do that. I've never had a hammer send me a message and said, Caleb, don't be selfish. Come, hammer a bunch of nails. Then you can really serve other people. What? No, tools don't operate that way. This is this weird quasi-existence that has a reality, a form of consumerism. The corporations want to continue to suck us in. Why? Because our attention is worth something important. I would like to share a couple quotes that even from the world, maybe you were thinking, okay, Caleb, he's had his tinfoil hat on a little too long. So I want to just share some quotes that come from actually experts in this field that's not just me, so to recognize that this danger isn't just from Caleb's imagination. First off, a quote from Avicii Nascar, who is the author, he is a, a neurosurgeon, he's the author, author of the technology gospel. He, he writes, be careful with your children's screen time. It's a matter of life and death. Psychological life and psychological death. Create them in a way that they do not lose their sense of community in the bogus crowd of hashtags and emojis. Uh, Tim, Cook, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, was famously noted for talking about the, the dangerous impacts that these screens and these uh, social media accounts have on children. He says, I don't have a son, but I have a nephew whom I set limits on. There are some things I won't allow. I don't want them, the kids, on a social network. The internet has enabled so much and empowered many, but it can also be a place where the basic rules of decency are suspended and negativity thrive. Measure your impact on humanity not in taste, but in the lives you touch. Not in popularity, but in the people it serves. There's a lot to unpack there, and I know that we don't have time to unpack all of it tonight. But even people who don't have a Christian perspective at all, and many of the elites in society, and especially in tech, they don't just give this to kids. They understand the danger of it, the impact of it, and they're cautious on it. Jaron Lanier, who is a computer scientist and a virtual reality pioneer, he said, we've created a world in which online connection has become primary, especially for younger generations, and yet... In that world, anytime two people connect, the only way it's financed is through a sneaky third person who's paying to manipulate those two people. We've created an entire global generation of people who were raised with context with the very meaning of communication. The very meaning of culture is manipulation. And it's amazing that younger people understand this. <laughs> they understand it pretty well, which is why a significant amount of distrust in social institutions, distrust anything for younger people because everything is just manipulation. It was interesting, this quote from Daniel Hulverman. He said, if you're not paying for the product, then you are the product. That is dystopic and it is chilling, but it is true. 
You don't pay for Twitter because you're the product. You don't pay for Facebook because you're the product. You don't pay for YouTube because you're the product. They want your attention. Your attention is the product. That's what they produce, that's what they package, and that's what they sell. And it's interesting, they know this. That's why you'll get these little surveys that's super innocuous saying like, oh, Caleb, can you please tell us what you thought about the recent YouTube advertisements that we sent your way? What? Wait a second. I'm kind of like the boss here. I'm the one that they're appealing to. I'm really what they're trying to extract information out of and then their people. I've never had a hammer or a chainsaw do that to me. Another thing that's interesting, I love this quote from Edward Tuft. He said, there are only two industries that call their customers users, illegal drugs and software. No offense to Joe, I know he's a software engineer and I know not all software is like this, but social media has been specifically developed and conditioned with behavior psychology in mind to generate more time. It's not like a software program that's going to help your machine run better or to be optimized there. It is a program that is specifically made to get you to engage more with it. And that the more you engage, the more addicted you become, the more enslaved you are, and the more attention is sucked into that, the more it becomes optimized and correct and powerful. And that's exactly what it wants. Now, I know we've talked a lot about many of these dangers. And I want to turn this more to a self-reflective spiritual thing because this alone should cause us to say, okay, we need to sit down as a community and really talk about this, that these, there's some things that are pretty dark out there that are going on with social networks and we need to know what's happening. We need to know how this impacts our young people. We need to know how it impacts ourselves. And in this lesson, I don't have time for the per to, uh, to, to examine every single parameter of this. And that's why I encourage you all as a congregation, as families, to examine this. There are many tools, and if you're interested in learning more about this, I can direct you to more tools on this. But I want to just take a look at them of things that we can see that are obvious problems that are part and inherent with the use of social media. That has become rampant in it. I know there might be some who try to say, okay, but that's not inherent. That's an abuse of it, possibly. But because it has become endemic in a form, I would argue that is not so easily distinguished. Take, for example, the idea of the selfie. Now, I'm a communication major. I have my master's in communication and rhetoric. And I can tell you that every single little bit of thing that you see in terms of whether it's YouTube or Facebook or all of these things, they are curated. They are processed. They are specifically trying to elicit specific reactions with you. It's not an accident. So do not be naive and think, well, this is just like anything else. No, it's not. There are complete industries that are dedicated to trying to extract the most out of you. And it's amazing how it preys upon our weakness as fallen people, as sinful creatures who are selfish, egotistical, and we don't think like we ought to. We've seen the rise of selfies, which... I know selfies are supposed to be a millennial thing. I'm a millennial, but to me, instead of calling it a selfie, which sounds just like self, selfish, and we should just self, selfishness, we should just call it narcissism because that's what it is. When you take a picture of yourself by yourself, what are you doing? You're the same as the Greek uh, 
the Greek fable, Narcissus, who goes and stares at himself into this reflective pool and eventually drowns himself because he's enamored, he's in love with himself. That's exactly what's happening. And when you fall down this line, as you can see in some of these, these graphics up here, it creates an entire negative feedback loop of terrible behaviors. You begin to become internalized to yourself. You begin to become a person who is less likely to engage with others, who is less likely to listen and receive honest criticism. You become someone who is uh, more likely to cast blame on other people and be judgmental just from an appearance, which is something Jesus specifically condemns. He says, do not judge according to appearance in John 7, 24, but judge with righteous judgment. These are things that these new technologies are promoting. And we have to be careful because the Bible, even though it doesn't specifically talk about social media per se, it talks a lot about how we conduct ourselves and it talks about a lot of these behaviors that are endemic within social media. For example, narcissism and selfishness. People want to be seen on social media. They look for validation through likes and engagements, for comments and retweets. They do so because they want other people to see and notice. Ask yourself the next time you tweet. Ask yourself the next time you post something on Facebook. Why am I doing this? with all this stuff that gets thrown out there and the social media is cultivated to say, yes, please tell us more. And there's this form of easy click that is just like, I don't really care, but I'll click a like. Oh, that looks good. I'll engage here. This has gone to the point where even in activism, they have a problem what's called flactivism. They'll put these things up and people will seem like they're behind a social movement. It'll sound like everyone's really caring about it, but really they don't. You can get a lot of people to sign an online petition, but to actually show up at a local meeting, at a coffee shop, nobody. Crickets. Why? Because it's this cultivated place that's out there in the ether that doesn't actually require them to engage. And the same thing happens with social media. It asks us to engage with it and cultivate these personalities that are out there because we want positive engagement. And so what's the problem with this? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about it. Do you guys remember when the ice bucket challenge was a big thing? I think it was for Lou Gehrig's disease, possibly, or the ALS Foundation. And the, the whole gimmick, right? Which, w look, I'm not opposed to funding for these medical organizations. That's great. We as Christians should be leading the way in terms of our generosity, correct? But the problem was, it was like, okay, you could either give money posts a picture of your check that you were going to send to donate, or you have this ice that's dumped on you, right? This kind of public uh, engagement. And a lot of people did. A lot of Christians did. A lot of Christians were even like challenging me, say, okay, I challenge Caleb. Okay, what are you going to do, Caleb? Are you going to donate or are you going to get the ice bucket? And the thing that just hammered into my head was Matthew 6.1. Jesus says, take care not to practice righteousness in the sight of people to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. 
And I had a guy who, he had challenged me, and he comes up afterwards, he said, hey, Caleb, you haven't responded to my challenge. And I said, I appreciate it, but if I'm going to give money to this foundation, I'm going to do it privately. Jesus talks about in that same text, I shouldn't let my right hand know what my left hand is doing. That my Father who sees in secret, He will reward me if I do that in secret. But social media thrives on this. It thrives on the viral movement of, look, everybody's doing it, so you should publish it as well. And I don't mean to just single out the ice bucket challenge, but everything, whether it's, oh, look, I tried this new recipe. Ooh, look, I went and saw this movie. Ooh, look. It's narcissistic. It's asking people to engage. Have we ever just stopped and turned it off and done something for the sake of doing it? Doing something because it's an experience we want to have and that we know that our Father above sees us and that we're engaging with the people that we love and care about that are right here with us. Remember I talked about in previous lessons that Christians should really be emphasizing the idea of presence. Jesus came to this world. He was God incarnate, not by accident. He was present for us. Presence and attention are very important concepts. And we need to be present for the poor. We need to be present for the, those who are suffering. We need to be present for the weak. And that doesn't happen through narcissistic publication of that online and social media. But rather it comes through humility. Just what Paul says that we should do in following after Jesus Christ. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility, consider one another as more important than yourselves do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Wow, that's a tall order, right? That's hard to do. It's to put myself behind and put others in front of myself. That's really hard to do, look out for the interests of others, when I'm constantly putting stuff about myself out there all the time. When I'm constantly pushing myself into the forefront and saying, look at me, look at what I'm doing, look how great my life is. Or, some people say, look how bad my life is. Christians shouldn't be saying, look at me, look at me. This is the whole reason why modesty is a thing. Why we need to talk about modesty. Not because we should be ashamed of our bodies. But it's not about us. It's about not drawing attention to us, but looking to serve other people. Looking to serve God and pointing people to the things that really matter in this life. Not what Caleb ate for breakfast yesterday but about why we're here, what we're doing, loving one another and serving and helping those who are vulnerable. Another problem, not just narcissism, but another problem that I've seen rampant and endemic is that of false information. People share information, articles, photos, without investigating to confirm if the information is really true. Many people share false information out of ignorance, but it's often shared because it supports a person's bias or wish. Just... Like I said, people can cultivate their own community. They can now cultivate their own knowledge or facts. This is very dangerous. We live in a world, so to speak, where truth is subjective. There's no such thing as something that is true or false. Your subjectivity, your personal truth, determines what, whatever that is. That philosophy is self-contradicting. It is extremely dangerous. But yet, I've seen many Christians, and Christians, Christianity... And postmodernism doesn't work. Postmodernism says, well, we can't really know if there's any truth. There is no truth at all. And Christianity says, no, there is a single truth that we all need to uh, ascribe to. There's an objective truth. 
But even then, <coughs> I see a lot of Christians, when we look to the way that we should conduct ourselves in regards to truth, and I'm not just talking about the biblical truth, but any truth, whether that's truth of a vaccine, whether that's truth about a political candidate, whether that's truth about a personal philosophy, whatever it is, we should be people who should seek for truth and only say things that are true. But yet what happens is we get online, we're in this narcissistic form, we Googled something for five seconds and we feel like, oh, I'm an expert now. Well, I read on a very reputable website, Wikipedia, that this is how it is. Or I will share in this meme that this is what happened. And it's not even the case. The one that gets me a lot is when people will quote text. And they'll say, oh, C.S. Lewis said this. And there's a Christian that shared something that C.S. Lewis supposedly said. And I love C.S. Lewis. And I did some research real quick because it sounded a little bit too much like it confirmed the person's previous bias. And so I looked it up and lo and behold, C.S. Lewis had never said anything of the sort. And I messaged the person, <laughs> and I said, who is a Christian? I said, dear sister, uh, I just want you to know that this piece of information that you shared on Facebook, I know, I'm, I'm just everyone's favorite Facebook you know, friend, right? I'm just like, by the way, uh, this is totally false, and you should not be sharing this. This is a falsehood. Please, please consider taking it off. She replies to me and says, thank you, Caleb, for being so studious and for checking and verifying this. I value truth very importantly. But... The overall point still stands whether C.S. Lewis said it or not, so I'm going to go ahead and leave it up. <laughs> but it's false. What? What just happened here? There's not a dedication to truth. There's just a propagation of one's bias, of one's perspective on it. And this is not right. Christians should not do that. Proverbs 19 and verse 9 says, A false witness will not go unpunished, and the one who declares lies will perish. Jesus, talking to the Jews in John 8, verse 44, <laughs> says, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. When you publish something that's false and you continue to propagate that falsehood, who are you following? Christ or Satan? It's not Christ. Christ is the truth. And if you're propagating things that are not true, you're not following after Him. You call yourself a Christian and you propagate things that are clearly false and have no remorse for that. And we wonder why people are, are skeptical of Christians these days. Maybe because we're actually sheaves, or wolves in sheep's clothing. We claim to be Christians that care about truth. We can't claim to decry the failures of postmodernisms and subjectivity, but we propagate such error ourselves without confirming whether things are true, with sharing things that just confirm our personal biases, without challenging ourselves and saying, is this actually true? If you don't know about a topic, if you haven't studied it, don't share something about it. And you know what? Social media loves that. They love the propagation of things that are false. Why? Because, one... Somebody's got to do the fact-checking. You can have this whole industry dedicated around fact-checking. And two, it's going to rile people up. And what does social media want? It wants people engaged. It doesn't have a, a dedication to truth. It just wants people engaged. And so if it can get people riled up and engaged on something because it's inflammatory, all the better for the algorithms, all the better for the attention vacuum that social media is.
But the instruction for Christians is that we're not to follow that. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, ridding yourself of falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, because we are parts of one another. You have a responsibility to your neighbor. You have a responsibility to your brother, your sister, and your family. Because we are made in the image of God. God spoke truth into this world. And that is a fundamental pattern how we should operate as beings created in His image. We should be truth bearers. But when we propagate things that we know nothing about, propagate things that are untrue and lies, and do not have any remorse on that, and continue to do so wantonly, we become children of the devil. And this is in social media. We have to be careful about this. It is better to say nothing than to say a falsehood. And so if you don't know about it, just shut up. It's not that hard. And the Bible talks about that. I don't have the Scriptures up here, but Ecclesiastes talks about, let your words be few. God is in heaven. You're on earth. Don't talk a lot. Don't say things that you know what you're talking about. It's not that complicated. But we have a lot of narcissism, a lot of self-inflation that has been inflicted on us through our own hands and through the hands of others that we can think that we are something when we really are nothing. And this leads to the fundamental problem of idolatry and addiction. Many people are addicted to social media. Every morning they wake up and check social media. They spend all day constantly on social media. And their main desire is to, be see, is to see and be seen on social media. In Romans, the sixth chapter, Paul talks about sin. And sin is a transgression of the law as something that enslaves us, something that captures us. The common phrase is that sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. Because sin, transgression, is just not a neutral thing. It continues to grow. It is described as leaven within a lump of dough. It continues to grow and grow and expand until it is all-consuming. Satan is not content just to leave us with a few little trifles of sin. It will continue to grow until it can dominate our entire lives. Social media works in the same way. Just today, we're visiting the Coxes. We are in the backyard and looking at some vines that had grown up. And I was telling the kid, I said, you know, we have these in Puerto Rico, and it's very interesting. Because we have banana trees, and a banana tree will shoot forth a leaf in the middle. And it'll be tight like a scroll. It'll shoot up. But what happens? You have these vines that come up, and they start at the base, and they work around the banana tree. And they will get to that newly, sh uh, newly formed shoot of a plant, that leaf that needs to open up. So the plant can thrive and photosynthesis and all that good stuff. But the vine encircles around it like a chain, and it chokes it out. And that little vine that is tiny can destroy an entire banana tree because it captures it. And that's exactly what happens with sin in our lives. It captures us. It enslaves us. It makes it master to us. And this can happen in any form. When we think about idolatry, idolatry, which we're going to talk more about Thursday night, is the act of attending to something other than God. It's putting something else that orients our life in the place of God. We are created in the image of God. God should be that which would attend to in the highest order. But when we remove God and we attend to something else and we focus on that, that becomes our idol. That becomes, in essence, our God. And the problem with this is that's exactly what social media is intended to do by capturing 
our attention and enslaving us to it. If every time you hear a beep, you check your phone, you are Pavlovian. Think about Pavlov, what he did. He rung a bell every time the dogs were going to eat, so they salivated when they smelled the food. Eventually, he took away the food, rang the bell, they still salivated. That happens with this. The bell rings, and what do you do? You pick it up. You attend to it. Who is your master? Who is your idol? God calls, but He doesn't do it through notifications. We can't attend to His Word at all. We don't attend to our families. We don't attend to the things that bring us harmony and wholeness and spiritual renewal in our communities and our lives, but we attend to the Master that calls us. It shouldn't be so. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12-13, through 13, All things are permitted for me, but not all things are benefit. All things are permitted for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and stomach is for the food. However, God will do away with both of them. But the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. The Corinthian brethren had problems with putting forth false idols, whether seeking after food and pleasure or the hedonistic satisfaction of sex. And he says, no, they're both fine in their own place. But when you elevate them to attend to them before anything else, they become disastrous. They become a false god. That's why he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Therefore, the one who thinks he stands, watch out that he does not fall. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And noting all of this, we can understand how social media has turned into an idol. We can understand the dangers and addictions of it. We can understand that it's not just a tool like a hammer. But there are going to be objections. People are going to say, but, but, Caleb, I have seen Bible verses on social media. I have read posts that have been very edifying. It's true. I'm not here to deny that social media can be used for good. Once again, I've told you, I'm not here to moralize you into canceling your, mor- your social media subscription or whatever. It's not my point. But to give you a glimpse of the reality of what's there. But it is interesting, as I've heard many objections to the critiques of social media, that while they say, yeah, it can be used for good, many of those don't understand that Yeah, it could be used for good, but it's a risk. It's a danger. It's like, yes, uranium can be used for amazing things, right? But you don't just go handle uranium with your bare hands. You don't. And we need to understand, we're dealing with something much more like uranium than just a regular hammer. It's something that is very dangerous and can kill you. It can destroy your spirit. But it's interesting hearing some of these objections because people have said, well, if you get off social media, Caleb, how are you going to let your light shine? This is an actual quote that there was a sister who said, I have had enough. I know I'm addicted. I know I need to get off of social media. I'm closing my social media accounts. And other Christians came and were like, no, don't do it. How are you going to proclaim Jesus if you get off social media? Really? Really? Well... I guess the apostles, they just couldn't cut it. They didn't have Facebook, didn't have Twitter, just not very good evangelists, you know. Come on. That smacks of someone who's addicted and is trying to encourage the other person to justify their addiction. It's just like when you quit smoking or drinking, your friends around you who drink and smoke, they're like, no, 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 just one pub, just a little bit more, just do it. And it almost like animates them and possesses them. To, they want you to do it so much. No, we don't need to be on social media to let our light shine. 
How are you going to connect with people? I don't need social media to connect with people. They did it for thousands of years prior to social media, and we'll do it when social media is gone. But what about the young people, Caleb? I hear this a lot. This is a big thing in Puerto Rico right now. Because in churches in Puerto Rico, there's not much young demographic. And so they're like, we need to connect with young people. And I'm like, amen. We need to connect with young people. So what's their answer? Well, all the boomers and millennials are sitting around saying, we need a better internet campaign. Because the youngins, they're on the internet, so let's get on the internet. And I'm like, no, that's not the answer. Because the, the millennials and Generation C, they're saturated with all that. What are they yearning for? What are they crying out for? Real connection. Something that is actually going to be grounded. A presence that's there. And I've given some of the brethren some, some illustrations. Like I gave you the illustration of Caitlin and I going to this church on North Puerto Rico. We make the sacrifice of going there, driving there, and being there in presence. Not just tuning in online. Why? Because we cannot use these streaming services as a substitute for being there and connecting with people. And it's the same with young people. I work with young people. I don't just talk about it in Puerto Rico. I work with them. And what do they want? They don't want to see some new YouTube video. Sure, they'll watch it, I guess. They don't want to see some new ad campaign. They want to sit down and talk about what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to struggle with depression? What does it mean to struggle with pornography? What does it mean to be a man, to be a woman? What does it mean in these things? And to actually have a real conversation with someone and connect with somebody in a presence. And we as Christians should be emphasizing that. But instead, we think, oh no, young people are, are on the internet. We need to run to the internet to use it. And we fall back into this idea of just becoming more enslaved. Look, I'm not saying it's wrong to have internet campaigns. I'm not saying it's wrong to do those. Great. If someone wants to do that, fantastic. God be with them. God be with the Puerto Rican brethren that do that. Glory to Him. But don't deceive yourself into thinking this is the way that we reach people. You reach people through the power of the Spirit and the Gospel. And the way that you do that, and the way that that's been done for thousands of years, is talking with people. Just like Jesus did. He communicated with them. He recognized their humanity. He made a real presence and connection with them. And that's what we need to do. And the false attempts and these objections that say, oh no, we need social media. All they do is they fall in to manipulation. Well, isn't this just a tool? No, we don't need manipulation of social media to do what God wants. If all social media stopped, could we be a light to the world? We should be. We should be showing people a way forward. But Caleb, isn't it just a tool? I want to close with this parallel, and I appreciate your patience with me tonight on this. There's a parallel with the tongue. In James, the third chapter, James talks about the difficulty of taming the tongue. We've all said things that we shouldn't have said. We all make slip-ups. We all say things that we say it, and they're like, whoa, 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 what was that? I don't believe that. I've said things to my wife, and I'm like, I did not mean that. I don't know where that came from. Why? Because the tongue is unruly. James writes in verse 6 of James chapter 3, and the tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our body parts as that which defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. 
but no one among mankind can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. But wait, the tongue is just a tool. Yeah, James recognizes in that same text that with the tongue, we can bless the Lord, but we can also curse men. Just because something can be used for both good and bad does not mean it is neutral. James does not say, oh, the tongue is just neutral, don't worry about it. He says, no, it is set on fire by hell itself. And if the tongue is set on fire by hell itself, imagine what James would say about social media. It is a special form of hell spawn. This is not just a neutral tool. We should not approach this flippantly. We should not be naive, but we must wake up and understand what we're dealing with. Once again, I'm not saying, oh, go and burn down social media. That's not the point. But you need to figure out who you're serving and who is controlling whom in this. And we need to be willing to understand that if we are addicted, if we are serving social media as a false god, then we need to be willing to cut that out of our lives. Jesus says in Matthew 5, talking about the sin of lust. Now, if your right eye is causing you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body to go to hell. If we don't realize the danger of things, then we are de-emphasizing the tragedy and destructiveness of sin. And as Christians, we shouldn't be flipping about that. We need to make a stand on this. And we need to recognize that sacrifice must be made. We cannot escape sacrifice. We will choose to sacrifice our relationship with God and our very humanity, or we'll choose to sacrifice the false idols that control us. The choice is ours and what to sacrifice, but we cannot escape the sacrifice. So the question that I leave you with tonight is who is in control? Do we have control of social media or does social media control us? This is a vitally important question that I can't answer for you, that you have to answer for yourself. And the congregation here needs to come together and discuss these things and to be honest about them. Be willing to make sacrifices, even if it is convenient, because we recognize something far greater is at stake than convenience or so-called connectivity. It's the fight for our very souls. It's the fight for our attention. It's the fight for our humanity as we are made in the image of God. So where are you going to stand? Thank you so much for your attention tonight. And I know this has been a lot to think about. But if there's anything that I said here tonight about idolatry, about addiction, anything at all, that you'd like to talk more about, I'm open. If you totally disagree with everything I said, okay, great, let's talk about that. Let's engage with one another. Let's try to find out what is true and pursue that with our whole heart. We're here to help one another. I'm here to help you. The brethren are here to help. And if you have a question about truth or how you need to change your life and seek after the one true and living God, we're here to help you in any way we can. And if we can help you tonight make your life right with God, please let us know. Now we're going to sing the song of invitation.